well, what's the game I'm playing with my life? It's all made up. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to choose the game I'm going to play, why am I choosing this game that puts me in misery? Welcome to Conversations with Sarah, a podcast where you get to listen in on some of my most interesting and personal conversations. I'm Sarah Samuel, and today we're talking about work. This episode features my friends Jeff and Carrie Fazell, two of the most interesting and creative people I know. They're both filmmakers and artists and philosophers with fascinating backstories and life experience that gives them wisdom about life, relationships, religion, and art that I have felt lucky to benefit from in our friendship. At first, I didn't know if I could sum up this conversation in any concise way because we talk about a lot of things from money and the economy to art and creativity and storytelling, chaos and order and religion and self-help books. We're talking about a lot of things, but as Carrie points out in the episode, we're really just talking about one thing, and that's the game of life, and more specifically for my purposes, the game of work, or in other words, the ways in which we order chaos. I feel a lot of pressure for some reason. (laughs) Uh, It's it's probably because you just have so much respect for us that you're intimidated. I do have a lot of respect for you guys. Let's talk about that. We have respect for you, too. (laughs) At least I do. I don't know about Carrie. Yes, I do. We should speak for ourselves, right? We're not a a celebrity couple that shares a name. That's true. Jerry. We we have our own PR. Um, So you guys are like some of the most creative people that I know. I feel like both oh. of you are like constantly <laughs> you're surprised. Yeah. Really? Yes. Everybody you know, know is creative. So many okay. creative people. That's true, but um and I guess there's something to and I don't want to like loop, loop you together. What's it called? Like lump. Lump. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> sure thing. I don't want to lump you together necessarily because you obviously are different people and you have different ways of creating but you also like you're both filmmakers and directors and writers and you do that together so I think it, in my mind you guys are doing that together but then Carrie obviously you make like jewelry and even just the way that you like hang a branch from your living room <laughs> it's <makes laughs> <us> very creative <laughs> uh, I actually hung that <laughs> yes that's true Carrie dragged it in though. right so it's like a a co-creative <laughs> activity. This is one of our many collaborative projects <laughs> that we used to do. Um, but I think there's a certain, I think I can tell in the way that you guys um, create, it's like really is coming. Kind of what you said, Carrie, of like it's coming from your own perspective. It's like something that really inspires you. Like you experience the world. This is my, what I think that happens. But I don't know. Um, you... Yeah, like, experience the world, and then it, like, filters through your, like, kind of perception, and you, like, create something from it. It feels very just, like, authentic. Um, just everything that I've seen that you guys create feels very, like, authentic to each of you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Both of you together. Um, so that's what I mean when I say that you're some of the most creative people that I know. I feel like you're constantly creating, and I also feel like you guys have really made it a priority, um, your creativity. Um, yeah, that's true. So... I guess, like, the thing that, that 
I've sort of been thinking about lately is like the kind of intersection between creativity and art, work and money. I didn't start thinking about money until this year. Uh, and that's pretty much all I've been thinking about this year. I mean, you know, in terms of like creation, because I spent, I spent my whole life basically focused almost completely on projects and creative projects. And I realized that, that money is an area of my life that I have neglected more than anything else. And I don't want to be poor. So I, just, I thought that it really deserved my attention this year. And I've, I've been pretty happy focusing on that and getting more interested in it and not hating it as much and learning how to view it in a different way that will hopefully cause more of it to enter my world. <laughs> What, um, so like before when you weren't focusing on it, was it, were you avoiding it or like, did you just, were you not interested and you were like, I will just do this? Yeah. Subconsciously avoiding it. Okay. Like, um, kind of resenting the need for it. You know what I mean? Like I felt like it was like a necessary evil. Like if I wanted to do the things I wanted to do, money had to come. And I went through like the crowdfunding process to do a short film in which which I found like super humiliating I would never do it again oh really yeah is that the short the short the what was it called the, the future of man yeah that was um, a great film though oh thank you <laughs> I haven't really gotten a lot of feedback on it it didn't get oh, into really? any festivals oh really but I uh I felt like I had to um I had to present it and and sell it in a certain way to to get crowdfunding support and it had to be about a message. It couldn't just be about telling an entertaining story, which is what I wanted to do at first. It had to be about convincing people to do something or think a certain way. Um, at least that's the advice I got from all the crowdfunding training. Um, and do you think that's why people gave to you? Cause you've got it fully funded and supported. I think a lot, most of it just came from friends trying to be supportive, but the random people that gave who I didn't know, I think that's why. Yeah. And, uh, I just decided that if I'm ever going to do another film, which I want to, um, I need to pay for it myself. So I, I just want to, I'm focusing on getting that area of my life right. And it turns out that building a business um, has been able to satisfy my creative urges. Um, there's a lot of creativity involved with it, especially getting into the, um, the online marketing and info product, like sales funnel stuff, like writing blog posts. And um, I've created a course about making brand videos and then making the brand videos themselves as a creative process that I've been able to actually turn into like a predictable process that I can teach to other people, which is cool. So I don't feel like creatively neglected but I would like to do some more scripted narrative stuff and pay for it myself is you like telling stories and just kind of for entertain like what do you think is your drive your creative drive um to be honest like I don't really think about I don't really think about like the good that my work will do or the impact that my work will have I just like seeing something turn from an idea which I'm starting to believe is is an actual thing of substance rather than just like this vacuous like concept mm -hmm. um, and seeing that thing turn into a manifestation mm. uh, and that 
that whole thing is really cool. That's why I like editing the best out of all the disciplines within the process of filmmaking, because that's where like the whole, the thing actually turns into its final form. So I, I like that whole process, but I've never thought I could change the world through the power of <laughs> film or any, like, I just don't really think of it that way. I just think about more about what it does for me. It's more just fun. That's interesting. I also really, really like the editing. Well, I've never done like an editing. I've never edited like a movie, but I've like made a music video of like random footage from my phone. Oh, nice. Was, Isn't that fun though? Isn't when that, I was, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so, so cool. It was the first thing I ever edited, like, right at the end of college. I, like, just had all this footage of my friends on my phone. I can't really, like, share it. I don't think, like, in public because it's basically just a lot of people, like, drinking and smoking. And, like, I don't know. That feels like maybe they don't, like they don't want that. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was so fun to see how I could, like, tell sort of, like, the story that I wanted to tell through the editing. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You're an amazing editor. Like you, you are able to build a story from. I mean, okay. If life is about organizing chaos, like that's what editing is, and you're so good at that. See, I think writing is organizing chaos because because editing is like to me like it's intuitive and it's easy. It's like okay, if I just start now and I work this hard, it, it will be done. But but writing has like the writing has this like nebulous chaos to it where it's like you're literally taking every idea that ever existed in in your head and trying to like sort it into something you're creating something out of not nothing but almost out of nothing whereas by the time you get to an edit like you've already got ideas narrowed down so tight that it's just what you've shot so i know those stories can change form a lot in the edit and makes a really big difference and it's important and blah 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 but I mean to me that's just like a cakewalk compared to like facing a blank page like I, I could I could sit down and like become a master at any editing or compositing application like I could learn I could learn a technical trade to to like total mastery um, and that's just I, could, I just know I could do that even starting from scratch um, and that and that's way less intimidating to me than the idea of like learning how to consistently churn out good writing. Even though with for writing, all you need is like word. Yeah. Does it feel different to you, Carrie? I feel like similarly, like I always was a writer, but now it feels so daunting to like have to grab from like formless nothing <laughs> to yeah. kind of like pull it down I try to I I think the story I tell myself about how to like think about it as not being that is maybe I don't know so I think of it as like a sculpture so you have a chunk of marble and you're mm-hmm. like well somewhere in there is a masterpiece mm-hmm. and you have to find it mm-hmm. and it's like for it still is like a blank page sort of feeling but there is like it exists in there somewhere like holding on to that belief of like within this piece of rock is the creation I want to create it exists Hmm. in there it's there that's how I feel about editing and writing is more like okay here you are on this planet you need marble (laughs) go find it (laughs) that's funny 
Yeah, I guess it's just like that's so interesting. Yeah, because I definitely feel more similarly to that. But I, I have felt that way in terms of writing. Of yeah, if you can think that it already exists, yeah, <laughs> and you're just finding it, that's the definitely the easiest way to. That's kind of how I, and interestingly, that's kind of like how I felt with this podcast. Even though I'm asking other people, but I'm like, there's a story that's being told. What is it, kind of? Yeah, it really is just a matter of how you think about it. Yeah. Because really, a piece of rock is a formless blob in a way. Right. Like you're not, you're, you know, it's a silly story you're telling yourself, or a helpful story you're telling mm-hmm. yourself of like, mm-hmm. this isn't. You have to create it. Yeah. I thought it was interesting also. So what you said, and I know that you've been like reading some Abraham Hicks. Is that something that you're okay talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I, I was in the middle of the book and uh, it was automatically, my ebook was automatically returned to the library oh, last no. night. So suddenly I couldn't keep going. Oh no. That's so sad. Were you in the middle of reading it? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. And the library was just like, the librarian came to bed and was like, nope. Yeah, just pulled it out of your hands. You're done. It was like, it was still working. And I was like, oh, I know I, I know my loan just expired. I wonder if I could like back out and go back in. Oh, and so I tried, so it, tried it. And I couldn't. Oh. oh. So now, now there would be $10 between, or four weeks between me and reading that book again. Uh, I wonder if I, if I have it all. I got pretty far though. Okay. I got enough to, I got enough to gab about it. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting what you said of like, you're thinking, well, you, I think it was when you were talking about money or, or art, but of having like this kind of formless idea or having an idea and thinking of it more as a concept that you then like kind of bring to life. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's Abraham Hicks kind of talks about that and mm-hmm. it can be like related to money of being like, okay, if money is like, that's like kind of what they always say is like the money is there, but you just have to realize it physically or something. Right, right. And then, the, like, uh, when you have a thought, it's not it's not like this, like, private thing that only, mm. that doesn't have any kind of, like, uh, substance to it. It's like a real thing, like a seed that can be nurtured. And everything that, everything that people have ever created began as a thought, as its genesis. And so that encouraged me to think of thoughts as kind of more important and more sacred and, and have, like, try to have more um, control over their content and um, try to think better ones, you know, mm-hmm. and nurture better ones. Mm-hmm. Like making choices even at the thought level, not just at mm-hmm. the physical level. Yeah, like choosing what you do. I mean, you can't, like, control what pops into your head. Right. You can control what you, like, ruminate on and mm-hmm. you can control what you obsess about. That's cool. And you find that to be, like as creative or like you're finding a creative like um (laughs) I'm bad at words um it's satisfaction I guess in um in that as you're like exploring the money thing yeah I mean well that's all okay like that book has also got me kind of convinced that that um everybody is just like by nature a, a creative force like that's what we're here to do so that i could probably debate with jamie about that <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i think people just think of creativity in too narrow of terms like mm-hmm. it only has to do with the arts but it has to do with a lot more than that 
and uh, we're always like creating something. We're always like we're always uh, converting our thoughts into manifestations. So, since you're creating constantly, whatever you do, um, if you think of it that way, then it kind of makes it more urgent to be more conscientious about the kinds of things that you're creating, the kind of thoughts that you're having, seeds that you're planting. What's been your relationship with like money and work? So has it been different than Jeff's um, journey or? I don't know if it's been different, but I can talk about what mine has yeah. been. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you guys have been like married for so long. So like so much of your life has been at least like in parallel mm-hmm. to each other. So like your work situations and money situations have been impacting each other. We've been like sharing our money, like we've had like joint accounts since I think before we got married. So you're in your early twenties. Yeah, so I don't, know, I don't think people really do that anymore. But our finances have always been a unit, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had a lot of jobs I hated. And felt like I had to do them. <laughs> <laughs> has there was there has there been any like change since? Yes. Like, what was your mindset during that? And then what's your mindset now? Yeah, I mean, I, last year in August, I decided to quit my, like, day job, which Mm -hmm. probably was at, like, two years too long. Um, I think it served me for a while. Like, it was a freelance sort of thing, writing business plans. It was, like, working at home and, like, giving me the opportunity to write, which I was taking advantage of. And then I probably just stayed around too long. We had also started a business um, together probably two years before I quit. Like, I I should have probably quit that job when we started our business, but was scared to. Like, yeah. we didn't have income, didn't know. I don't know. Whatever. Should have, could have, would have. Who knows? But, um, but I did, and, like, letting go of that day job was difficult but good. Because it's very scary to mm-hmm. not know, like, where your money is coming from. <laughs> We're still in that position to some degree. Um, but yeah. that feels like the sink or swim, like, right. where you need to be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was always like, well, okay, if I don't know where money's coming from, I guess I'll, like, plant it or dog sit or put our place on Airbnb. Like, what do we have to do to fill the gap? Like Mm -hmm. in a panicked way, in a desperate way. Mm -hmm. And I always like resorted to that um, because I grew up without money and in a family that was like, topics on money, we don't have any. Like, (laughs) okay, that was like the end of it. And there was no like any kind of ambition to like get more or try to do something about it. So that was like a panic, like a desperate panic I've always had of like, well, I've got to take care of that. Wait, that's interesting. So your family and do you feel comfortable talking about their, yeah, sure. their consciousness? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be like a really famous podcast, so they'll probably hear it. But um, so you, so your family didn't have money, but there wasn't any ambition. Did they feel comfortable in that? Or like, what was the mindset around that? Like, as far as your perception of it yeah well my perception was like at 10 I was like um hey mom why is dad home all the time now and he lost his job Mm -hmm. like there was no communication about it it was not like yeah I 
did they seem like worried or were they like comfortable in it? Yeah, my mom was constantly worried okay. about it. Yes. But also and like Yeah, like and she would express worry to me and still does. My dad mm-hmm. never has or does. Like okay. he'll be like checking in and be like, Are you okay? But Interesting. So you had, like, one worried parent and one parent that was, like, kind of fine. Seemed fine. Well, at least or he wouldn't He wouldn't express share. it to yeah. you. Okay. Right. Okay. So you picked up that and kind of, like, felt really worried about money and... Always. Felt, like, a responsibility to yes. take care of that. Always. <laughs> yes. It's pretty miserable. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then did something change between when you thought... When you are like, oh, I should have quit then... Versus when you actually quit, like, was there a mindset shift or were you like, okay, we have some money in savings, so now I can quit? Or like, what was the difference, I guess, between? I think it was a feeling of like, it's now or never, like, it's not like I can't exist in this forever. Mm -hmm. It's not going anywhere. And also my creative stuff isn't going anywhere. So how do I, I can't do both kind of, sort of, Mm -hmm. I have to do something and really take the risk or not. We've also taken, like, we started out taking a huge financial risk and filed bankruptcy, and, like, we have been through stuff, so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of feelings of, like, ah, taking that risk Mm -hmm. is, like, anxiety-inducing, but I feel like we're better set up for it now, and, like, all all signs point to, like, keep going with our business, except for the ones that are, like, no, definitely don't. (laughs) (laughs) So some signs are pointing, your signs pointing in different directions. All the signs are saying all the things. (laughs) Um, I found, like, I found a lot of uh, comfort and encouragement in self-help books this year, because, uh, because I, I believe it, you know, I believe it. Like, I'm convinced. I'm totally convinced that that uh, having the right mindset and minding your thoughts and, like, it's just impossible for us to work as hard as we're working or the way that we're working and not at some point find success and, like, live in a way that we've never lived before. Yeah. And, I mean, it feels and, different than it has before. And that way means uh, that we've never lived before means that like, if I, if I want to take 15 or 20 grand and make a short film, I just, I just pull that out of my checking account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're interested in and devouring of self-help books before the librarian comes and takes them away. <laughs> so I bought some of them. <laughs> I mean, it's had a huge impact on me for sure. And like, just like imagining being able to imagine possibilities in a way that I haven't before has been huge we know how to psych each other up now we can like go on a walk around the neighborhood and just like yeah. all right we're we're uh to to get into like self-help mumbo jumbo like mm-hmm. our our vibrations are are uh, too low <laughs> right now like what can we do to raise it <laughs> I mean, it really does work, and it is, like, the, what's the game or, that you're playing with your life? I think that's mm-hmm. the thing that changed for me. It's, like, well, what's the game I'm playing with my life? It's all made up, so mm-hmm. if I'm going to choose the game I'm going to play, why am I choosing this game that puts me in misery? Mm-hmm. I don't want to play that game. Yeah, it, like, the, the freedom of realizing that you don't have to listen to other people, and you don't have to, you don't have to do things the way that other people do them. And, uh, it, like, all of this is just kind of a game it's just it's kind of a joke and you can you can play you can play it as long as it's like helping you as long as you're having a good time and if you're not 
just do something else. Did you guys, um, you said like you don't have to listen to other people or do things the way that other people do them. Were there people that you were like emulating or was there some kind of like something that's come up recently for me? Actually, it comes up all the time. It's like loyalty to family members or whatever where I'm like, well, I have to do it the way that they do it because if I do it a different way, they'll be upset or they'll be hurt or mad or they just won't understand or something to mm-hmm. kind of like make them feel better mm-hmm. like are you aware of mm-hmm. certain people that I mean you don't have to like say who it is but are, are you aware of mm-hmm. okay. yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like I have that from my family at mm-hmm. all I don't feel like I have any sense of I mean other than like what I've observed mm-hmm. and like well that's how you do it mm-hmm. but like in terms of like them telling me how to do something yeah I have total no. independence. Yeah. But they're pretty in, la- la- laissez-faire. They're very right. passive parents. <laughs> um, but, yeah. the But in, like, a job situation, like, mm-hmm. being a people pleaser and, like, wanting to make sure I get it done and, like, oh, they asked for it in two weeks, so I have to do it in two weeks. Mm-hmm. I can't tell them, like, you know, and I would get... I've gotten better about managing projects and expectations and yeah. setting mm-hmm. boundaries, but that's been a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you just got better, like, by practice. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. 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 And recognizing that, oh, I'm the one who's putting pressure on myself yeah. for this. Mm-hmm. Is someone else is just asking for what they want, and I can also counter with, that's not going to work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I had, for years and years, carried this, like, commitment to having this, like, sterling reputation for, like, punctuality and reliability, and I never was late to anything, and never um never missed a deadline and I mean I'm still pretty good but pretty good is good enough you know mm-hmm. what I mean and realize like that pressure is mostly coming from like me not from other people I also so this is kind of going back I as you guys were talking I was like this thing this thing this thing um but I, I feel like I do feel like the, like as you were talking about taking risks and things like that I do feel like that is also partly why I'm like oh you guys are some of the most creative people that I know because you do take risks and I feel like there's something like inherently creative in that or something of being like here I am you know this is this is what I want and I'm going to like put everything on the line for it I mean as much as like failing in bankruptcy and investing in real estate early like we were 27 when we filed bankruptcy like oh yeah bankruptcy yeah that was a huge failure, but it was also like, oh, we survived. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that actually, like, there was really good things that came out of it, too. So I think that, like, taking a risk and failing in a really big way at the time, it seemed at least, was like, I mean, we were okay. Mm-hmm. It sucked, but, yeah. Like, and kind of doing mind exercises of, like, well, can we accept the worst thing? Like, what is the worst thing? Mm-hmm. And that came from Jeff to lead that exercise oh yeah I got that out of a self-help <laughs> book <laughs> from this year like from back then uh it's a book that I would read like years and years and okay. years ago but I'm rereading it right now actually I was like working on it last night it's Dale Carnegie it's called how to stop worrying and start living oh I feel like I've heard of that maybe so good know. and it has like this exercise in it that's just like where you sit down and you just physically like with paper like like assess the worst case scenario then you accept that worst case scenario and then you start working to improve it yeah so it's like as long as like the the worst thing that can happen isn't this like 
I hate that I'm using the word nebulous. Like I haven't said that word in like years and now I'm like saying it all the time that it isn't this like abstract thing that could be like anything. You have no idea. You know, you just get a handle and know what that worst case scenario is. And if you know, it's not as scary. Right. And you're also not going to go to prison. You're not going to die. Yeah. Yeah. So like we figured out that like the worst thing that could possibly happen to us is that we have to move like two hours away and sleep in my parents' extra bedroom in their trailer. (laughs) And, uh, and that sucks, but it's not quite as bad as like, you know, some, some things that could happen, like going to prison. Like I was thinking about people who are like fearing, who have like a trial coming up and they're fearing like a, like a judgment or a sentence or something like that. Or like people who are like, um, have a terminal illness or something, you know, or, or like waiting for this diagnosis, you know, I mean, even those people can assess and like figure out their worst case scenario and accept it. But for us, it wasn't even that bad. So doing that exercise is really helpful because it cleared our heads of the fear Mm -hmm. so that we could uh, use our energy to focus on improving the situation and figuring out where the, where to get the rent money, you know? I also remember like it gave me a moment to like think about like going onto the porch and being like, okay, I really have to accept that as a possibility as a worst case scenario and can I accept that? And like looking at my succulent plants and just being like, okay, I could do that if I had my succulent plants, like something to hang on to. It's making me cry to think about it. But like just that, like you tell yourself a story of like, how would I get through this if I had to accept that as a reality? And that's why I think story is, like, making films, like, is changing the world. And that's why I care so much about it. And I do, I definitely do feel that mission of, like, I think that's the most important thing I could possibly do is to give a story from my own experience that might relate to someone else that would give them hope Mm -hmm. and make people feel less lonely. That's my mission in life. So beautiful. Including myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, yeah. What is, do, does it help you in some way to tell the story for yourself? Hugely. Like, can you describe that or? I feel like it's like, like writing a dream mm-hmm. and figuring out, like making it make sense, like make, finding a pattern and making it make sense and going back to, oh, this thing was like a clue or a hint mm-hmm. in that first draft to this thing. And now I understand it like it is that like chipping away at a piece of rock and finding like a gold thread on one side of it and then another on the other side and then oh my god maybe it's a whole vein of the thread and it connects like that's so exciting for me that that things could have meaning and be connected like things in your life yes (laughs) and that I get to orchestrate that Mm. and make that true Mm. is amazing yeah Otherwise, it's just chaos and meaningless and depressing, and I can't do that. (laughs) So I have to tell a story. I have to make it up. I'm curious to know about... So I know you guys both come from, like, religious backgrounds in some way. Like, in some ways, there's so... Like, I see religion and spirituality so tied to art. Like, I'm curious how... If you had any, like, resistance to that, as, like, now you're kind of coming into this self-help, if you feel like that's related to, like your religion experiences from the past or if you resisted it at all or like what your whole relationship with that is okay so it's all about phases right so yeah I grew up in this like highly restrictive 
cult, um, which if you know that you see, you've seen the the short, <laughs> you've seen the short that I made. It was like that, and uh, but then like when I was a teenager, uh, I, I discovered like evangelical Christianity, which which seemed like a huge wide world. It was like it was like sticking my head out of like like a gopher hole and seeing that there was like this whole huge world out here except I was in what I didn't realize was that I was just like inside like an atrium or something (laughs) (laughs) but um so that was like really liberal to me and uh and so I enjoyed that for a while and I remember some really interesting and good things about it that do resemble like some of the experiences I'm having now um I mean it had a bunch of shit loaded onto it but uh you know, it's like that. That's kind of where I discovered faith. You know, for the first time, because my my background, my religious background, didn't mean anything to me. I was it was just like a annoying thing I had to do. Uh, but this was my own personal religious experience, mm-hmm. and it was cool. It was very euphoric. Uh, I got a lot of friends out of it. I found community in mm-hmm. it. Um, I uh, got my first kiss out of it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Dear important. church, these are the things I would like to receive. Here's your money in the offering. No, there were, there were phases where I was also like, "Wow, I'm getting everything I pray for," you know. Um, and and then like when I went through when that collapsed and I went through my like cynical atheist phase, uh, I just chalked that up to like coincidence and delusion. But now I realize like, no, I don't think so. I think I was like. Uh, I think I was was uh, manifesting the things that I wanted in life, and uh, and you know it was working because I was focusing on them and believing that they would come. So now now I'm rediscovering the euphoria of faith, but without having to um, attach to a particular ideology, which is actually why the Abraham Hicks stuff makes me a little uh, because it's mm-hmm. like the closest thing in the self help world that I've come across so far that feels a little like wacky like religion mm-hmm. um uh but it's still cool you know <laughs> if you take it with a grain of salt mm-hmm. um i don't believe that esther hicks is a special medium for <laughs> for uh for a spirit named abraham i think that she's just iterating the you know something that we all have access to intuitively inside of us mm-hmm. and she's doing it in her own words in her own cultural context cars She's obsessed with cars. <laughs> it's super weird and kind of annoying because I hate cars. Uh, but it works, you know. It's like it's all it's all real, and I've like you know I've done several of the exercises and I've found them beneficial. And actually, the Dale Carnegie book I was reading uh, that I mentioned last night, the chapter I read um, was about like how powerful prayer is, whether you're religious or not. And I, I was getting like reconnected with that, so it 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 felt like it came at the uh, it, at the exact perfect moment. And I've been working on this book for a while, and just I don't really pick it up every day, just occasionally, and then just randomly opened it to this to this chapter, and uh, it had all these anecdotes about people who were like who just reached the end of their rope and were like in the most desperate situation and crying, and then they decided to like suddenly like pray to God, and. Um, and, and we're endowed with this newfound like power to go and solve their problems. So it's like what happened in Eat, Pray, Love. She's like crying on the bathroom floor. <laughs> she like, yeah, yeah. it actually happens in every movie. <laughs> yeah. um, it's the like That's Blake true. Snyder would call it the all is lost moment. 
uh, and it's a necessary part of a story um, where where like a, a moment of like pure desperation when things can't possibly get any worse uh, leads in leads into a into a period of uh, introspection, which leads into like gearing up and going and taking on the challenge. So, yes. <laughs> to answer your question, yes, there was much, much uh, validity in the religious experience, and uh, and I'm seeing a lot of the seeing a lot of the parallels now, and I'm happy to get back into that. Um, but uh, I don't believe that Jesus was God. <laughs> in one year, I'm going to interview you, and you're going to be like, "I'm an evangelical Christian again." Came back around. <laughs> I mean, if I do, if I did, it would just be because I'm craving the high. <laughs> Um, do you think you had like any resistance to like metaphysical mm-hmm. things before, like yeah. between now or between when you left? Yeah, totally. Especially in recent years, like, um, especially basically up until this year, uh, and I, I found myself really steeped in like pride over cynicism, mm-hmm. you know, and like being like science minded and nothing has done more for us than science. And, uh, you know, on a certain level, that's true. But also, like, uh, the concept of not science itself, which I think is great, the scientific method and that way of analyzing and solving problems and um, object, uh, being objective. Uh, but I feel like the, the mystique of science has created a cult around it that causes people to uh, see that as, as uh, a reason to not have faith. Um, and so that's how it's been kind of bastardized. And I fell into that, that view of it, I think. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. And that, I think that, that, uh, took away some tools that I really needed over the last few years Mm -hmm. to be, uh, to be a happy person and to achieve what I want out of life. Mm -hmm. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of thoughts. One is an Albert Einstein quote that's my favorite. The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. Mm -hmm. And the religious church experience I had had for me coming into it was it was not part of my parents' experience in the way that I was experiencing it. I thought they were going to hell and it was my job (laughs) to save them, which Mm -hmm. was awful. I still think they're going to hell. (laughs) Then you can take the job to save them. Um, so it was like, I didn't have the context that most people had. I believed it. I really believed it. Like, when you die, you're going to be with God and walk on a gold street. I believed it for like, real. That like, story. literally, the gold street is yes. a literal thing. Yes. It's physical. Yes. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> I was 13, and I wanted to believe that so much. And I did, and I really believed that it was my job to, like, oh, my God, people don't have this information. I have this information, so I'm going to share it with them. But in terms of, like, the intersight, so, like, the mysterious, think like, the potential is so there in religion, and it exists, but then it's also, like, sidelined in a lot of ways, or it's just, like, organized in a way that, 
takes all the mystery out of it. Like in an evangelical fundamentalist church, it's not about mystery. It's about what you know. And we know this for sure. We know for sure that the streets are paved with gold because it <laughs> says it here. And it's, there's no, it takes the mystery out of it, which is maybe what appealed to me about that mm-hmm. fundamentalism, that it was not chaotic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wanted that certainty. So also thinking about like the difference between like art and advertising and propaganda and pornography and like those concepts too and how that folds into religion and like I think the the challenge of being so certain of something you no one can be certain of is that it wants something from other people it's not like a here's a thing and you decide what it is it's here's a thing here's what it is I don't know if that makes sense but yeah it does okay Thank you. Wait, can you talk about it more, though? I want to, like, make sure I'm really understanding. Well, tell me what you... I don't know if I have access to what I'm saying. (laughs) Tell me what you're hearing that makes sense. Because right now I don't feel like it doesn't make sense. But... Um, Yeah, the main appeal of religion is, I think, at least it was for me, I think it was for you, too, is that is that it answers all the questions for you. Um, So not only do you not have to get um, comfortable with chaos, you also deprive yourself of the ability to appreciate and enjoy and embrace chaos. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the healthiest manifestation of religion is the embrace of chaos. And I know there's religious traditions that do that. Yeah, like control. It's about control. It's about control. We know what's going to happen. We're in control. Don't worry. Everything's fine. And people really fucking want that. And also, I'm starting to realize that, like, I was reading some Glassdoor reviews for companies yesterday just for fun (laughs) on uh, on the internet. And Glassdoor is a site where people, like, if ex-employees or current employees can, like, review the work environment. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, like, people who are employees, like, see the see life as something that happens to them and they want a game to play and they want but they want to have a voice and they want to be accommodated well these particular employees on Glassdoor <laughs> are complaining all right. not all, all employees. employees but I realize like if you're going to start employing people which we expect to pretty soon you have to do that for people you have to give them a clear uh, you have to give them expectations. You have to give them a clear outline of their job. This is the thing people complain about the most, too, is like not knowing what the expectations are. It's like a religion. You have to give them like a game to play, like a path to follow. And that's why they're employees who are doing this instead of running their own businesses. They need instructions. They need a structure for their life. So it's not just... For a, their job. <laughs> No, for their life, too, because think about it. Your employer, if you have, like, a regular job, your employer also tells you when you can have a life. That's true. That's true. They tell, like, when you have to, like, be here and when you can be there and what, you ha- what you're still responsible for while you're there, mm-hmm. like, like what you have to take home mentally and physically from work and what to bring back. And in a lot of cases, like, how you have to behave and conduct yourself outside of work. So it really is, like, like this entire, like, life prescription that people are subscribed to. to be that way? It, to to a certain extent, at least, like like, I mean, if if you have an employee and um, you're like hands off with them 
while they're not at work. That's just because you choose to be. But you could, yeah, but, you, but you literally could just, like, you even, like, you can even, like, decide who pays for their health care. You know what I mean? Like, you decide what kind of lifestyle they live and what kind of salary you give them. Like, it. Well, yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? Because the employee's offering, I mean, the employer is offering something. They're saying, this is the lifestyle that you can choose if you work here. But then, of course, the employee can always make a decision. Yeah, just like they can leave or religion. To it or not, yeah. Yeah. If they want to work there or not. Yeah, yeah. So that's like the only decision they have to make. Right. All the all you have to do is say yes to accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, <laughs> and then we will take care of everything right. else. Here, we'll tell you what's expected of you, and we'll tell you what you have to do, and we'll tell you what you get in return. And that's exactly the way the employment structure right. works. It's like the opposite of creativity and the opposite of... Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like you guys have like explored this kind of dichotomy a lot over your lives it seems like from my my perception my perspective outside here <laughs> we've tried on a lot of different hats <laughs> of like yeah like buying into the like the freedom and the creativity and the making your own rules out of chaos or like jumping into the chaos versus mm-hmm. yeah how much to let someone else order your chaos for you yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, like, how are we going to build our company and hire staff and make it a situation that's, like, I mean, it's our company, so it's, like, has a culture, Mm -hmm. so if someone aligns with that, great, and if they don't, okay, but, like, it's tricky to build that machine and offer, like, knowing, I mean, we haven't done it yet, we've just hired contractors, but, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a lot to think about, like, to not be controlling of people but also to like offer here's the here's what we're trading right yeah yeah and, and we're not like we're not like completely free if you're an employer or you have your own business or whatever you're not completely free either you you're you're accepting and rejecting certain edicts from your uh from your culture mm-hmm. from your nation uh you know it, it's like there's there's pros and cons to to everything that you buy into like like I'm choosing now for example like I spent so many years cynical about like money and resenting the way the economy works and blah 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 because I felt sidelined by it um and I decided that even though I'm I still know that all those problems still exist and there's inequities and unfairness I decided that I'm not going to hate the system anymore I'm gonna love the system and see what it can do for me and uh, and just like making that choice, I suddenly start to reap all the benefits of the way the economy works. And I know I'm making that choice though. Mm-hmm. I know I'm, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm like, I'm like sacrificing my, my urge to rage <laughs> in exchange for yeah. like material wealth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this conversation is kind of coming back to that theme of choice of like whether or not it's an illusion. If you have a perception of choice, then you are having a more enjoyable experience in your life. Yeah. Like a, like when a patriot says, like, appreciate your freedom, like it's not really it's not really freedom. It's just like it's just like a pretty good deal. 
It's like a better deal than, <laughs> than you would get in a lot of places or it's something that feels like freedom, but it's not really freedom. You can't do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You still have to work within parameters right. of this system that, um, and, and I will say you voluntarily buy into it because like if I, I could choose to not be an American, like I could go and just like live in the woods, but then I would have to give up all the comforts that that come along with like being a citizen of a nation or I could like I could sneak into another country um but then I would have to be a criminal you know and since I'm not willing to make those sacrifices I buy into this game of America yeah it's really interesting yeah I love the the talking about it as a game and like which games are are we playing and buying into and yeah and also like what are the actual rules of the game versus like what are you know I feel like with capitalism there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to play it in some way. Um, like I think a lot of people like really hate on on capitalism, but I think it also like really expresses the values of like the people who are using it. So it's like, you, what way are we using mm-hmm. capitalism? Mm-hmm. Kind of like what you're you're saying. Mm-hmm. And there's like also the element of like, well, yeah, you could live in the woods, but you're probably still gonna like take, you, you know, use roads and things like there's certain there's so many things that we actually do get from like just infrastructure mm-hmm. from the government yeah. that like I'm not going to build roads well, <laughs> yeah. if you get sick like herbs yeah, can only take true. you so far yeah but ultimately right. like you you always have the choice to like free yourself from your earthly vessel <laughs> so yeah. so I mean is is unpalatable as the other choice may be everything really is a choice yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, oh, well, we're getting into like fate versus free will. And like, that's exciting. Wait, so, like how so? Can you like, say more? if everything is a choice, well, then maybe the opposite is also true. Like everything is not a choice where like, okay. I listened to this podcast <laughs> yesterday. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, Pete Holmes interviewing Stephen Colbert. And Stephen Colbert was talking about the story of Jesus and how it's like a beautiful story. And I'm hopefully, I'm re- this is my interpretation of what he said, that like the story of Jesus, which I have interpreted as God sends a person who's him to the earth to rescue us all. <laughs> and that is kind of a fucked up story if you think of it like, well, we need saving and we are not enough ourselves and that. Yeah, Um, but Stephen Colbert was saying it was just pretty, like, matter-of-fact in his interpretation in a way that was mind-blowing to me. That was, like, the story of Jesus was the story of someone who answered a call and who didn't, like, who didn't say no to the thing that he, only he could do. And to me, that is a beautiful story, and that is incredibly, that's what an artist is, of a, a person who... Like, I think you can deny the thing, the choice. You can make a choice to not do the thing that only you can do. And that life is a trade and that has limitations. But if you surrender and kind of give up your choice by saying, okay, no, I will answer whatever this thing is that I feel calling me, I will do that and I'll trade away other things because I'll do that, but it's like the choice of your soul that is a compulsion in a way. Mm-hmm. You can remain conscious of the choice that you're making too, which which gives you like a, a semblance of freedom because you know you're making it. It doesn't have to be a 
It doesn't have to be like a blind, it doesn't have to be a blind faith. Or choosing. No, wait, blind faith is the wrong <laughs> term. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like, um, you don't have to be ignorant. Yeah. Like you're not, it's, you're not resisting. You're not, resi- you're not resisting who you are. Yeah. So like if you consider yourself like scientific minded or skeptical, this is a very tough pill to swallow because, um, because you, you demand proof for everything, you know? Uh, so I think like kind of like one of the biggest revolutions in thinking for me is just like giving up, giving up the need to have proof and, and just believing that, uh, sometime after this life, it will all be completely clear. So maybe and, in that way you are an employee who's playing someone else's game and completely yeah. controlled by their game. But I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fine with it. I stamped my approval on it, so okay. I mean, and yeah. then that's ego. Like then you know, it's you're giving up your ego. But I'm glad to be thinking about all this before we start hiring people, <laughs> because because now I realize I think before I would have had this instinct to be like, no, I'm just gonna hire people that that like that are like self starters and like know what they're doing and like give them as much freedom as possible so they can feel like they're contributing something. But that's not what people want when they're looking for a job. Yeah, I think the best thing you can do is say, like, hey, here's the job. If you want to do this job, great. If you don't, please let us know and yeah. don't be here. Like, yeah, here they Because I've stayed at jobs I didn't want to be at, and I yeah. want to be a person who is saying, like, I want you to grow, and if you're not mm-hmm. growing here, then grow somewhere else. And we yeah. want to support that. You give them somewhere to grow to, like, that isn't, like, another employer. Whatever they want. but see lots of people don't want whatever they want they just want to be told what they want well it's interesting yeah I mean I feel like I have um sort of two different like I definitely have like the thing where I'm like I need to create my own thing I need to be in charge of it I want to be free and whatever but then oftentimes I also I'm like can you just give me a task to do and like exchange for money or appreciation mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know right. i'm just like i need yeah. to fill my time with it i just don't want to have to think about anything or create it like there's so much pressure right and yeah. like God and that doesn't have to be it. your whole life yeah yeah it's like let me have a job that yeah, i get paid for and have a life that i enjoy but it is uh it, i think people really do want to know what's expected of them and by what criteria they're going to be evaluated mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're full of anxiety. So I think those giving giving like somebody who's doing something for you those things is like way more important than like any particular like benefit or or like a perk or something. You know, it's like I mean, sure, there's companies that have like ping pong tables and like kombucha on tap, <laughs> but like people are unhappy there because they don't know what's expected of them. They don't know how they don't know how much um, it's okay for them to take the kombucha, <laughs> <laughs> and they don't know they don't know how they're being how their work is being judged, you know they don't know. Um, so I, I feel like somebody should be able to like know how their performance review is going to go, because they know whether or not they've filled the like clearly laid out criteria and so that's what that's the thing i'm really grateful to understand before we start hiring people that people just need like parameters and structure 
Yeah, you want to know that you satisfied the job and so you can go home and say, I did a good job. Exactly. And and know that nobody's, back. like, mad at you or resenting you. Which, to bring back to being an artist, is, I think, the terrifying thing about being an artist. You don't... How do you know if you do a good job? Like, yeah. you don't have someone to be like, yep, good job. I think it was... Who's the guy who does the the Campbell's Soup stuff, the artist? like the, Andy Warhol? Yeah. I think he said something like, if he could hire someone, he would hire a boss. Like, yeah. that it does alleviate a lot yeah. of stress. Mm-hmm. I mean, in like in school, like I had like art classes where the teacher would come by and tell you whether your shit was good <laughs> or not, which I thought was stupid, but people need it. Yeah. And so, this, yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of them being an artist, I think, is probably giving up your people pleaser mm-hmm. instinct that I have, or at least for me, is like, okay, I don't like, but also shaping and recognizing when to take input that does shape what you want or how to structure what you want I mean returning chaos to chaos is not really what have you done like (laughs) but I guess that's kind of like what everything well yeah I don't know that's like interesting too because I'm like well we're like born and then we just like turn into dust anyway like everything kind of turns into that (laughs) ultimately it only matters to you but it does create something new and like the process of being alive I guess it's like what have you impacted or I guess maybe if you have if you've created something or you've or even if you've like had kids or something that you pass on some something of being alive and you're not just going from being not like a sperm and an egg to like to being dust well I don't know I don't know how much of a devotee of uh, Abraham Hicks you are um, but like that concept of like um, you being the you being the leading creative edge mm-hmm. of like um, like if we're all part of the the same energy just kind of like uh, taking these egoic forms temporarily mm-hmm. but you know like this is now and this is time and it's always the present and so we are like the leading edge of creation all of us but when these forms expire uh, it's, I'm, you know, your same energy is still present in mm-hmm. lots of other forms right. and it, it recycles and just keeps pushing everything forward. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is, is there really an end to life? Like, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, like the comforting realization, comforting and terrifying of like, well, what does it really matter? But it yeah. matters to me and it matters to people yeah. who are around me. So am I going to make meaning out of it mm-hmm. or is it going to be meaningless? Like it just, the opposite of everything is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> it like brings up so many things where I'm just like, wow, like, uh, like everything that's said can be like, taken into a whole other conversation it's like overwhelming but exciting too oh we're just warming up yeah (laughs) yeah when are we gonna start (laughs) yeah did you hit record yet do we have plugs yeah say all your plugs um i'm a nose plug well my biggest (laughs) my biggest creative project right now is authenticbrandvideo.com go to authenticbrandvideo.com for only 99 dollars not a joke Really? Should I give it? Should I give a coupon? <laughs> yeah, if you want. Yeah. Should I give ten bucks off? Yeah, give a coupon. Okay. Um, I have I uh, I have a really amazing, painstakingly recorded uh, video course. It's true. About how to 
how to make a brand video in a way that's like uh, really moving and authentic and emotionally resonant, which is exactly what's missing from brand videos today. So if you're serious about marketing your business with true authenticity, please check out authenticbrandvideo.com and I'll create a coupon code Sarah with an H and I'll give you 10 bucks <laughs> off the course. Can't believe you ended with an ad. That's so true. We want your money. Also, if you if you want to work for us and rate us on Glassdoor, <laughs> we will read the comments and talk about them on a future podcast. Also, if you don't even work for them, but you just want to give them a rating, probably think that it would be to work for them. Please don't create a profile for us on Glassdoor. <laughs> And please don't, please don't review us on Yelp either. Oh my God, no, please don't. This was an incredible conversation that fascinated me while it was happening and opened my mind even a little more as I was listening back. The ways in which the many things we talked about connected back into the simple question of which game we're playing, which way we're organizing chaos into order, and how much the perception of choice has an impact on our experience to make us feel more empowered and less victimized was a great reminder about work and career. Everything I think I should be doing is someone else's game, someone else's rules. So why buy into it? But even knowing that, it can be hard to break away from a belief that's so ingrained it just looks like reality. Recently, I realized that the game I've been playing, the entire way I've structured my life, is around the idea that having a job is a moral necessity. This was huge for me to see, and being able to name it has given me the space to question it, whereas before it just looked like reality and therefore unquestionably true. More on this in future episodes as I explore it more deeply and hopefully find new understanding and new rules to play by. But for now, visit my show notes to find out more about Jeff and Carrie's creative professional endeavors, authentic brand video, and concurrent productions. They make incredible brand videos, so even if you don't have a company you need to brand, I recommend checking out the videos just for fun. If you like this episode, please subscribe and rate and review the podcast so that other people can find it and know to listen. (laughs) 